Welcome to the Maritime Executives Podcast Series, In the Know. I'm Tony Munoz, Editor-in-Chief. Our Executive Corner Podcast will provide conversations with top executives concerning events and issues that are shaping our industry today. We will also bring you up to speed with the latest news and editorials covered by the Maritime Executive. Welcome to the Maritime Executive Magazine Podcast Series, In the Know. I'm Paul Benecki. In this edition, we're joined by Sean Strawbridge, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, for a conversation on America's oil and gas renaissance and the growth of one of the largest energy ports in the United States. Port of Corpus Christi is the third largest port in the nation by tonnage and a leader in oil exports. And despite the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, it is on track to post another record year. For the details, listen in on our discussion. Sean, hi, this is Paul Benecki at Maritime Executive. How are you? I'm fine, Paul. How are you, sir? Good. Thank you so much for taking the time. Certainly, Paul. Thank you for having me. Maybe it might be helpful to tell us a little bit about the port and its its historical evolution. So, how did it get from from where it was to where it is today? Yeah, it's a great arc of a story. Corpus uh, Christi was founded in 1926. The port was uh, at that time. It was primarily to assist the South Texas agriculture and cattle growers. And the King Ranch, which is a, a large uh, privately held uh, landowner, uh, was very instrumental in establishing the Port of Corpus Christi. And very quickly after its establishment, uh, oil was found in Texas, and it became somewhat of a refining center. And for many, many decades, uh, refineries were the largest component of the port's business there three large refiners and seven refineries in Texas with nearly a million barrels a day of placard refining capacity. And that the port of Corpus Christi had a heavy dependency on that those three customers and, and that particular market base. However, in the earlier part of this previous decade, as production technologies evolved, particularly under the sh- in the shale space, we started to see more increase of crude oil and, and natural gas, which is in Texas uh, primarily a byproduct of the crude oil production. And so we started to see more pipelines coming to Corpus Christi as we have the good fortune of being the closest deep draft port in proximity to two of the largest energy producing fields in the nation, the Eagleford Shale and the Permian Basin, uh, two large Texas production fields. And so, as, uh, as, as with any port, ports are all about location, They're primarily real estate uh, plays. Uh, we are a landlord port authority, as many other port authorities in the country uh, are. And we have continued to see more growth, primarily driven by, first, the energy renaissance as it related to, as I said, the, the innovations in extraction technologies. And then in 2015, there was a very important inflection point where the previous uh, presidential administration, the Obama administration, lifted a 40-year ban on the exportation of U.S.-produced crude oil. Uh, that, uh, that ban had been put in place by Gerald Ford in 1975 as a response to the OPEC oil embargo of the United States in the earlier part of the 70s. And it endured for 40 years until December of 2015, where the Obama administration and the Democratic Party reached a omnibus, bipartisan omnibus agreement with the Republican Party. Uh, The Democrats were able to get an extension of their production tax credits for renewable energies, and the Republicans were able to get this repeal 
on uh, crude export, uh, the, the ban on crude exports. Since that time, we have seen meteoric growth, primarily in crude exports, to ally our allies and trading partners around the world. Um, you know, the earlier part of that really was folks kicking the tires on the quality and the uh, the reliability of Corpus Christi. And since that time, we've seen tremendous investment by uh, energy companies and, and what we call midstream companies, those are the, the logistics companies that move the hydrocarbon molecules from the production field to the demand centers. And we've seen additional investments in LNG and natural gas liquids uh, facilities. And that has just continued to propel Port of Corpus Christi's growth into, as you correctly pointed out, the now largest export gateway for U.S. produced energy in the country. That is a, a tremendous storyline arc. And so you mentioned LNG. Of course, that's a has been a fast-growing export sector for the United States. Can you tell us a little bit about um, that business and how that has grown? Well, Chenier and their Corpus Christi liquefaction facility, it was originally designed to be an import facility for LNG, as there were many uh, planned in the, in the nation. And they started to develop that as an import facility when, of course, the, the shale renaissance picked off and they very quickly pivoted and realized there was really an export opportunity. The result of that is currently two large-scale liquefaction trains, as they call them, and uh, a third that is currently under construction. They are uh, going to be commissioning their third train either later this year or early next. And we had seen tremendous growth from that facility uh, as, it, as they opened up uh, a couple of years ago. As you see more and more sovereignties moving away from coal-fired power generation to liquefied natural gas uh, from a transport standpoint and certainly a feedstock standpoint, uh, which we think will have the biggest single impact on reducing uh, carbon concentrations, atmospheric carbon concentrations. And so we're very excited to be a part of that with Chenier. They've been a great partner, and we are uh, continuing to see them invest significant capital in the Corpus Christi liquefaction facility. I think once we get by our these, uh, this pandemic and uh, the uh, associated economic crisis, we will see uh, very large quantities of liquefied natural gas exported through the port of Corpus Christi. Great. Um, do you think you could tell us a bit about how COVID-19 has uh, affected the port? COVID-19 has left no seaport, airport, or any corner of the economy unaffected. Uh, and what we saw was an associated demand destruction for uh, transportation fuels and subsequently crude oil uh, as a feedstock to refine into transportation fuels as we saw sovereignties around the world employ shelter-in-place protocols. So we saw a significant amount of this demand destruction globally. Uh, in 2019, global demand for crude oil peaked at 103 million barrels a day. Uh, in April, uh, in the in the height of the COVID-19 pandemic and, and the associated uh, shelter-in-place protocols that were uh, employed globally, we saw nearly 30 million barrels of demand destruction in just a few short weeks. Crude production could not reduce uh, production to match that kind of demand destruction in that concentrated period of time. That created an oversupply, a surplus, which we still have today. We still have a global 
surplus of crude oil. And unless or until we see the emergence from our COVID cocoon, if you will, and we see an increase in demand for motor gasoline, for diesel, and certainly for jet fuel, uh, we're likely going to face a crude oil surplus for the next 12 to 18 months. Now, the good news is we have already recovered about half of that demand destruction uh, in just a few short months. So we're now probably about 85 million barrels a day of consumption globally. Uh, and the fact that most of the exports from the Gulf Coast move through the port of Corpus Christi uh, really just demonstrates the resiliency of our gateway, the resiliency based on the investments that have been made, not only by our customers, but certainly the Port Authority to make the gateway, number one, safe, number two, fluid and competitive. That really has demonstrated for us that while we have seen a retracement from our high water mark, which we saw in the first quarter of 2020 from a volumetric standpoint, we're still well ahead of where we were in previous years, including our record year of 2019, which indicates we will still be on track to have yet another record year in 2020, even with this epic demand destruction and this uh, economic retracement that we've seen as a result of the novel coronavirus pandemic. That is really impressive. I can't think of any other port that can really say that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the expansion project for the Corpus Christi Ship Channel? Well, the Corpus Christi Ship Channel Improvement Project is a, is a, is a project that has been in design for many, many years. In fact, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers began the feasibility study for that project back in 1990, 30 years ago. It's been a long time in coming. It took Congress 17 years from that initial feasibility study commencement to authorize the project. It was authorized in the WERDA 2007 bill. Uh, it was reauthorized in 2014. And it took some time for us to reach an agreement with the Army Corps of Engineers on how they were going to execute on that project. We finally reached that agreement in 2017, and we saw dredgers in the water shortly thereafter. Uh, the, the fact that the need to deepen and widen the Corpus Christi ship channel, the underpinning uh, criteria for making those investments still remains. These are epic projects that will, uh, uh, they take a long time to execute on, as I, as I said, just from a, a, a studying standpoint and then an authorization standpoint. The actual execution for this project should not take more than about three more years. We're hopeful that we will see the Corps of Engineers finish this project in late 2023 or early 2024. The challenge that we have is that uh, the cost estimates for the project have grown tremendously since initial authorization. They've grown about fourfold since initial authorization. And so having to go back to Congress and get a reauthorization to be able to increase uh, the, the federal portion, cost portion. And then, of course, the non-federal sponsor, the Port of Corpus Christi, we, from a capital raising standpoint and certainly a budgeting standpoint, it, it makes it difficult for us. So we've always impressed upon the Army Corps of Engineers and the appropriators and the elected officials that infrastructure projects in this country are taking way too long particularly seaport infrastructure projects. Navigable waterways accounts for nearly 25% uh, of the overall GDP of the United States, and that certainly holds true in Texas at about 
$365 billion uh, of, the, of Texas's GDP, which is about 26%, uh, is tied directly to its navigable waterways. So we're very excited about the execution of this project, but unfortunately, the Army Corps of Engineers has been authorized uh, $96 billion worth of infrastructure projects, whether that's navigation construction projects or flood control or flood risk mitigation projects. And the appropriators uh, last year only appropriated $3 billion for construction uh, appropriations. So when you look at that, it takes the core a long time. So going forward, we're really advocating more of the core, delegating some of that work to the states uh, and allowing the states to execute on that work. We believe we can actually execute in a much more nimble fashion. Uh, the core is a very large organization and there is a, a measured bureaucracy. Uh, we're not talking about moving the core out of its current construct in the DOD. Some have called for that. What we're saying is there is an opportunity for process improvement, and we're certainly front and center in advocating for streamlined processes to get these projects executed much faster and, and ultimately uh, much more cost-effective than they have been. The timeline from planning all the way through to execution seems it's generational. It's, it's not just decadal. That's, that's a really long time. feasibility study today, uh, the same feasibility that was undertaken in 1990, we likely would not, this would not be a 54-foot deepening project from the current 47 feet. It would be something deeper than that because vessel technology and, and the evolution of single screw technology with vessels, whether it's container vessels or crude vessels, has evolved tremendously over that 30-year period, which is why we're now working on a 75-foot permit with the Army Corps of Engineers for a certain portion of the Corpus Christi ship channel to be able to fully load very large crude carriers. Those are uh, vessels that will draw uh, with uh, fully loaded of 2 million barrels of uh, West Texas Intermediate spec of crude uh, will draw about 65 feet of water. So that your point about the timeline taking so long, uh, really this is a great case study in why it's so important that we execute on these projects much faster because there is a portion of the channel that the 54 feet is just not sufficient. Sure. Very few of the commercial ships that were built in the year that uh, you guys started planning are actually operating today. Moving forward a little bit, you guys are also home to a Ford Trade Zone, of course. Can you tell us a little bit about how an FTZ works and what benefits it offers to shippers? Uh, really, the benefits are that uh, FTZs, as we call them, they're secure areas under the supervision of U.S. Customs and Border Protection. They are considered outside of normal customs territory of the United States, which then special CBP, Customs and Border Protection, CBP procedures are, are then used. Uh, they're certainly a fiscal tool that can defer or reduce uh, tariffs and duties on uh, product. They streamline supply chain costs and improve uh, a company's competitive position in either domestic or foreign markets. A good tell then our FTZ from uh, outside the U.S. and imported into the U.S. or produced here in the U.S. and scheduled for export are not subject to state or local ad valorem taxes. Uh, and goods that are in the FTZ do not apply towards U.S. quota restrictions until they enter into the U.S. commerce circle. Uh, restricted merchandise can be stored in an FTZ until a particular quota is open. 
at which point relevant relevant items can then be immediately shipped into U.S. Customs territory. So they're really a tool to help uh, American importers or exporters, for that matter, uh, uh, continue to be competitive in a uh, certainly in the environment we're in, where we're seeing more trade tariffs employed uh, by, uh, but certainly by this administration and by other sovereignties around the world. Or of Corpus Christi acts as a a resource, not only are we the administrator, but we certainly want to promote more trade. And so domestic companies that want to have access to international markets, but that may not have the knowledge of how to do that, the port offers uh, a variety of, of seminars and other informational resources to help them get their businesses positioned to be competitive on the global stage. Great. So you're also a very important port for the U.S. military. Can you tell us about uh, the port's strategic role? Texas has been a friend to the U.S. military for decades, and Corpus Christi is home to uh, a few military installations. The Naval Air Station in Corpus Christi was built in 1941. We also have Naval Air Station Kingsville, and we have the Corpus Christi Army Depot. In the chief of all naval air training, that billet, which is an admiral level in the Navy, is headquartered in Corpus Christi. Uh, in addition, the Corpus Christi Army Depot is the largest military helicopter repair facility in the world. And so the port of Corpus Christi, which was federally designated as a strategic military port back in the late 80s, is proud to support the American warfighter at home and abroad in accomplishing their mission. One of the ways that we do that is by building additional infrastructure to support some of the large military facilities that are in Texas, like Fort Hood and Fort Bliss. In fact, uh, this year we will surpass uh, the uh, two other Texas ports that are strategic military port designations, Beaumont and Port Arthur, as the largest military outload port uh, or load center, I, I should say, in Corpus Christi. We, we, we just did a large heavy brigade movement that was repositioning equipment from Europe back to the U.S. Uh, and so having the, the rail infrastructure, the road infrastructure, certainly the uh, secure facilities to be able to load or unload these vessels, having uh, helicopters be able to land and take off from the port, that's all infrastructure that the port has spent uh, tens of millions of dollars in support of our uh, of, of the Department of Defense, and we're very happy to have that that designation and work very closely with uh, Transcom, the U.S. Transportation Command, based at Scott Air Force Base in, in Illinois, uh, in support of, uh, again, as I said, all the American warfighter, both at home and abroad. Great. Can you tell us what uh, you expect for the port in 2021? Well, we certainly expect our growth trajectory to continue Paul, there's been tremendous industrial investment in the region. We've got what I consider five key ingredients to our success. One is uh, we've got an abundant supply and are blessed to have an abundance of American-produced energy, both uh, oil and natural gas, uh, right here in Texas. Uh, two, we have a deep draft port, uh, Port of Corpus Christi in the South Texas coast of Bend, as, we, as our region is called. Three, we still have large swaths of available land for development. And when I say large swaths, I'm going to use one uh, recent investment as an example. ExxonMobil Chemical, in, in a joint venture with Saudi Arabia Basic Industries Corp., which is a uh, Saudi Aramco company, 
is investing in the world's uh, largest ethane steam cracker in Corpus Christi. They acquired about 1,100 acres, and they're currently developing uh, this plant that's called Gulf Coast Growth Ventures. It's about a $10 billion investment, uh, and they needed a large contiguous piece of property in which to do that. The fourth ingredient is Corpus Christi is the most populated coastal city in the state of Texas. Uh, the region, the metropolitan region, is about a half a million population. So we have a very robust uh, workforce, both professional and trade. Uh, and so that's that's really important to ensure that you've got available workers when you're making these large industrial investments. And then lastly, which is very understated, but no less important to us, and the port has worked extremely hard with industry to maintain this status, and that is our airshed, which is in the two counties that the port operates in, is still classified as in what's called attainment. That means our ozone levels are below the threshold required by the EPA to then employ some additional regulatory, procedural, and equipment uh, measures to be able to meet those non-attainment standards. So uh, that call, that saves industry in our airshed nearly $2 billion a year. So it's very competitive. So we find that those ingredients have really been our recipe. And when you look at those types of investments, like the Gulf Coast Growth Venture Project, which is currently under construction and is slated to come online sometime in late 2021 or early 2022. We're continuing to see those projects that have gone past final investment decision continue to develop. We also have seen that with there's a lot of talk about reshoring of manufacturing in the wake of the uh, trade disagreements with China, and certainly the uh, the global pandemic has has put some uh, light on. Uh, flaws in supply chains. We think that South Texas and certainly northern Mexico, now that the uh, NAFTA 2.0 or the USMCA agreement, which went into effect last month, is, is in place, we fully expect to see more uh, reshoring of that manufacturing. And Corpus Christi and the South Texas Coastal Bend is a great region for some of those reshoring opportunities. So we really think that 2021 and beyond is still going to be uh, we're still going to see some uh, some great growth, uh, but we are currently still in the pandemic, and it's it's a new norm with all of the protocols and health screenings and things that are in place. We are considered considered critical infrastructure by the Department of Homeland Security, so we have continued to remain operational, albeit with these new protocols. But we really think that 2021 and beyond are still going to yield some great uh, opportunities for us, and, and we're excited about our future. That's great. Any parting thoughts? Well, I would like to impress upon uh, my colleagues that are in the container space that uh, we don't do any containers in Corpus Christi, uh, but we're no less important to the overall state and national economy. So while uh, consumer demand drives 70% of the country's GDP and certainly 90% of most ports business, the fact that Corpus Christi does zero containers uh, and yet we continue to see great growth uh, in the non-container space. Uh, I just want to impress upon my uh, my colleagues in the container business that, as I like to say, there is life after containers. <laughs> That's great to hear, and I'm, I'm sure they're paying very close attention now. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Paul, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. This edition of the Maritime Executive Magazine podcast was sponsored by the Port of Corpus Christi.
For more information, visit the port on the web at www.portofcc.com. Thank you for listening to In the Know, the Maritime Executive Magazine podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next exciting discussion on maritime technology, business, and policy. In the meantime, please visit us online at www.maritime-executive.com for the latest news and views from around the industry.